You're listening to The 80-20 Show, an inside look into the music industry. Welcome back to The 80-20 Show, and I am your wonderful host, Mike Zimmerlich. My next guest is Paul and Frankie from the alt-pop-punk band Love Like Fiction. Now, if you have been listening to the podcast, you'll notice that I already interviewed Nick, the lead singer of the band. And just a quick disclosure that Love Like Fiction is an artist on 8020 Records. This time, we get the stories from the bassist Paul and the guitarist Frankie. We talk about their beginnings as musicians leading up to joining Love Like Fiction, which is definitely a journey, which you'll find out. I had so much fun with them, and I hope you enjoy my interview with Paul and Frankie from Love Like Fiction. Hey, Paul. Hey, Frankie. How are you guys doing today? Hello. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So I would like to get started with you guys. So, uh, Paul, I'll start with you first. How did you get into music? Ooh, um, you know, if I really, really look back into it, um, I think it was when I was in middle school and I wanted to make friends. As, as silly as it sounds, I actually know the specific conversation that we had because I knew nothing about music. And uh, there were a couple kids talking about like, uh, about starting a band and like, yeah, man, like we need like a bass guitarist and all of this other stuff. And the only thing that I knew about music was that my dad's truck had a three band slider on it. It was a bass, mid and treble. And so I was like, yeah, dude, totally. We should probably get a mid guitarist and a treble guitarist too. And they were like, what? <laughs> what, what are you talking about? Huh? Yeah. Um, and really that was kind of it. Like I found an in cause I started doing band and I realized that my band teacher did jazz band and I uh, picked up bass guitar doing that. Wow. So you're the bass guitarist in the jazz band. Mm-hmm. And then I was able to convince the teacher to let me play bass guitar in concert band as well, just so that I could blend them together and quit That's... the saxophone. That's amazing. Cause that doesn't happen that often to get electrical instruments into uh, into a concert band experience into any kind of ensemble like that. So that yeah. was, that was very rare. Yeah. So, and I mean, that was, that was pretty much it with my introduction. I, you know, I did jazz band for seven, seventh and eighth grade. And then when I got to high school, it was a lot more competitive and they didn't need a bass player for like three years. So I never got in. And interesting. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that too, because I also was a part of the band uh, program as well to make a new friends. When I moved out to Arizona I was already in the band program beforehand, but that was a big part of building friendships into a state that I had no friends in, I had nobody to know. So that was definitely a way for for me to build some friendships was through the band program. Yeah. Well, and it it totally shaped the influences and type of music that I started to play too. Because when I was in middle school, it was like 2001, 2002, and pop punk was a really big thing. And there was also ska music. And because I was in concert band and jazz band, there were a bunch of kids that liked ska music because they played trumpets and saxophone and trombones. And that's what I did. You know, I did ska. I was in a ska band, I think for like four and a half, five years. Oh, wow. Yeah. He still makes us listen to ska all the time. <laughs> oh, really? Does he Every Does he force you to ska, to ska uh, music? He doesn't force because it really grew on me, but every long drive and Paul's always our driver. He's DJ too. <laughs> And it'll alternate between like straight, just screaming anger and ska music. Yep. So what was there a go-to ska band that he always play, always played in the car? Uh, Real big fish. Oh, of course. 
Real yeah. Big Fish is a good one. If you want to go a little poppier, you got the hippos, you know, they've got some classic less than Jake. There's there's plenty. And I mean, there's newer stuff too. I mean, Streetlight Manifesto is still touring. Yeah, that's right. They are still touring. Oh, wait, not right now. I, we'll yeah. have this podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll get into that in a second. <laughs> but uh, no, that's and what about you, Frankie? Did, what, did you get into the band program too when you were younger? I was a football player. You were um, a football player. Yeah, I only I did sports. I never was a part of like a school music thing. Um, what got me into it is I had an uncle that gave me a bunch of old like Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, like records. Um, so I loved that type of music. And then my cousin bought me Guitar Hero 2 for my seventh birthday. And so now I'm playing this music that I love and I can like kind of do my thing and jam along. And I was like, hey, this is pretty cool. Like, maybe I want to actually give this a shot. And so my uncle taught me a couple things and then I just never stopped. <laughs> I just wanted to keep playing and playing and playing. And then I uh, love like fiction was my first band and I'm still here. <laughs> wow. And what about you, Paul? Was Love Like Fiction your first band or were you in a band prior to that? I, I've i been on and off playing bass since 2001. So I've, I have I did a ska band. I've done some screamo bands. I've done metalcore bands. I've done just some rock jam bands. Um, and then Love Like Fiction. So what do you say, Paul, then, because you had so much experience with other bands, what would you say is one of the uh, major differences between being a band like Love Like Fiction in comparison to the bands you were in the past? Honestly, the fact that everybody else puts in their own weight. <laughs> that's a burn. No, like, well, and, and I'm not talking about the actual, because that's the reason why us love like fiction, I feel like has gotten so much further than, than anywhere else is because there's always been something going on in those other bands. There, there's tropes, there's cliches. And you know, what's funny about it is that most musicians play into them one way or another. And the fact that every single one of us, because we all have our things, and that's not what I'm talking about. Every single one of us steps up when we're needed to get things done, and I think that's why we've been so successful. So what do you expect, uh, say is the success in that? How were you able to handle that amongst the band members? Because I know a lot of bands out there, they wish their other band members were like that and they were equally being involved, but in many cases, that's usually not the case, where some members are more into it than others. So how were you able to balance that amongst each other? literally at the end of the day, you can't force anybody to do anything. You find what everybody's absolute max is and try and assign things within those parameters. Like a relationship where, yeah. you know, it's not always going to be 50, 50. Sometimes it's going to be 80, 20, but that's what that person needs at the moment. So you just got to roll with it. Cause fighting them is not going to do anything. Yeah. Have you guys fought before amongst each other or? Like oh yeah. <laughs> It's never ugly. Like we never let it get to that point, but I would say we all butt heads consistently, but we love mm -hmm. each other. So it's cool. It's always a very like therapist type approach where we all sit down and we go, okay, so when you do this, it makes me feel like this. What can we do to make changes here? Like, <laughs> yeah, I think everyone's ended up crying together. So we get there just in our own way. <laughs> yeah. You band members together, cry together, right? Exactly. Especially when you're on tour. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so last year when you went to South by Southwest, was that your first time on uh, the road together? Yeah, mm -hmm. abs absolutely. So talk more about that. How was that experience? That was great and awful. <laughs> great and awful. It was a learning experience. <laughs> what would you say was the uh, lesson that you learned the most? 
from from that road. From just the have road fun. Don't worry about all the other crap. Just go and play because everything's going to go wrong. So don't fight it. I also learned that once you're over 30, it's almost impossible to sleep in a car. <laughs> no, I found that's true, too. Like, when people are like, yay, road trips. I'm like, oh, God, not no sleep for like days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally with you on that one. I, I'd rather fly now than go on the road. Yeah. Well, and I mean, no question. what we did, because you always do what you got. I have, I have a, a Chevy Colorado. It, it fits five people and, you know, it's got a towing hitch and a towing package and we rented a trailer and we crammed all five of us into the Colorado and <laughs> driving. It wasn't that bad. You know, I've done the drive before, but also I don't have a lot of experience with driving with the trailer. So I took the recommended 55 that was plastered all over the trailer. And I was like, okay, we'll go 55. And it ended up being a 23 hour drive because none of us wanted to go over that speed limit till like two thirds into the drive. And then we realized that we could totally go 75 and there's not a problem. There you go. So I guess that's (laughs) one of the main lessons is that you don't have to worry about these stickers and the warning signs. You just do what you want. It's just a suggestion. (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm I'm making a little disclaimer here that that we do recommend to follow whatever rules and guidelines there are out there. I'm just going to say that. (laughs) Yep. And and Marin and I will probably be the tour drivers. Oh, so yeah. So you guys take shifts between each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who did more of the driving? It was pretty even. I think it was pretty even. Pretty even. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's switch gears for a little bit. Ah, Ha ha ha. Here, you know, switch gears. Um, To how did you guys uh, meet um, Marin and Tara? Which because Marin and Tara are the uh, OGG members of Love Like Fiction. So Mm -hmm. can you guys explain more about how you how you met them? Uh, I should probably start because I came in first. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll remember better than I do, but there was some kind of Instagram post they had made. And I think I messaged them and was like, what are you, what are you guys looking for? And they had seen, like, I used to do just like little cover videos on Instagram, me singing and playing when I was in high school. And they had seen those and they're like, oh, you can sing, you can uh, play guitar. And we gave that a shot for like two months. And I was like, yeah, I can't sing. like sorry we're gonna have to do something else um and when i had made that decision like the whole energy kind of just shifted and like me and tara were in relationships we shouldn't have been in that dragged us farther out and so we quit or i quit i can't say they quit but tara kind of went her own way too and marin was just kind of grasping at straws and then they gave like they wanted to give like one last final hurrah and then that's where Paul and it came in yeah and that was a Facebook post I'm not at, at this point I think I was done I was done looking for bands and I was done looking for music at least for a bit um, Nick and I had already been in a band for a year beforehand and we tried doing like you know we never really established it early on and that was probably the problem is that I think we wanted to do like post hardcore, like in the sense of like sleeping with sirens, but then uh, got band members that wanted to do metalcore and we didn't really notice until it was like already formed and put together. Uh, But after that, it was kind of like, it's hard. It's hard to find band members and it's hard to find people that'll show up. It's hard to find people that will put in work, especially for something that pays out almost nothing, you know? 
And uh, there was just a random post and they were looking for a bass player and a singer and Nick happened to see it. And he was like, hey, do you want to try this? And I was like, ah, okay, I guess. And, and then we met up and I was like, oh, okay, I, okay, okay. We played Sugar, We're Going Down and it just kind of clicked. <laughs> yep. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So what, um, so after that point, I mean, the band has been together now for how long? Two years. Yes. So yes. you guys, you know, so the band's still relatively new. I, I, I usually consider a band that's under th- the three year mark, a baby band, because mm-hmm. it does take a while for things to grow. So, uh, for each of you, uh, you can answer separately. What have you learned in this, in this band? What has been one of the main things that you've learned within love like fiction in the past two years i'll let you take that first paul me (laughs) i mean for me things that i've learned that are new is probably just the business side of things on how things go down how to basically do a deep dive on facebook and get a hold of somebody that might be able to get you to to do something that you want them to do whether it be a show or a company or a label or you know uh, a producer um, that is probably what I've learned most in the last two years, instead of just, you know, showing up or like making a single post on like a local page, but like really digging and diving to try and find like places that we want to, uh, play places that we want to go, you know, people we want to actually like get to know things like that. How about you, Frankie? Uh, mine's kind of a different road. I just kind of learned how to work in a group. Cause I met them when I was like freshly 21 and I definitely still do and continue to have a lot of work to do. So I just learned a lot of like life skills from them and how to, you know, work as a team, maybe not be so selfish on some stuff, et cetera. Yeah. I hear you. It's still going. There's no I in team Frankie. I like there's a one of my favorite jokes is there's no I in Team America. It's like, yes, there is. It's <laughs> <laughs> my favorite one. But uh, yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you, Paul, as far as you know, it's so important to understand. And I think a big word to use here is fearlessness mm-hmm. because I don't know if fearlessness people- is it because I physically tremble when I do all of these things. I think it's literally <laughs> just walking through the fear and the anxiety. Right. That's anxiety. what I mean. It's like, it is totally, yes, no question about it. It's, you get tons of anxiety to do it, but I think after a while you get comfortable just reaching out to people. Mm-hmm. I mean, for myself personally, I'm, I'm naturally an introvert and people always find that amazing when they, when they didn't know me before 80, 20 records that I would, yeah. that I've been, that I'm naturally an introvert because I'm always out there. I mean, I'm hosting a podcast. I'm doing all these different types of things, but in reality, I'm a very reserved person. So for, for me, it took a very, very long time to get myself out of that shell and be comfortable reaching out to people, not only to people in general, but to people that I don't know, especially if I want something from them. I had to work on that over and over and over again. And now somebody's like, Hey, can you find this person? I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? And I just like do my homework and try to do my research and find where they were at. And then I hit them up Mm -hmm. just out of the blue. Just didn't, they didn't know who I was. And that took time. That took a lot of time and going through that nervousness and, you know, feeling like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I feel so stupid reaching out to this person and why should I be reaching out to them? When in reality, the the honest truth is that by far the majority of people are more than willing to talk to you. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what you've accomplished in life, um, what successes you've had, anything along those lines, 
most of the time it doesn't matter. Most of the time it has to do with timing. Totally. Whether they got your message or not, whether they had the time to respond to you or not. I find that's what it usually comes down to. Yeah. So, yeah. So talk to me more about recently because now in the time of this recording, we're in the middle of the pandemic. So obviously a lot of shows have been canceled and so forth. And so I know with Love Like Fiction that put a hold on things, but we still were able to release a single, which full disclosure, Love Like Fiction is a member of 8020 Records family. But we did release a single together in May. So you want to talk more about what your experience was like releasing a single in the middle of a pandemic? I'm going to give that one to Paul, too, because he took the reins on that. I had fallen away. Uh, You ever feel like you're just like on the outside looking in on something? That's kind of what that (laughs) entire release felt like because it was a whole lot of like everything was done and it was it was actually like a fairly well received single release and things like that but it feels so surreal because of everything else that's going on that it's it's hard to it's i i don't know like i feel like it's kind of hard to like stand that out from it because it was almost unreal yeah, it was it was hard. You know, we had a, a huge online switch. We did our quarantine sessions, which we were able to do, which definitely really helped. You know, we were still able to get, uh, you know, press coverage and things like that. But also at the time, I don't think anybody was really reading anything. You know what I mean? Like entertainment wise. So um, there's always these memes going around. And I think that they're hilarious because it's like, you know, everybody's here, like dealing with the rest of the world. And there's somebody just down with a megaphone being like, have you heard my band's new single? <laughs> That's my favorite. My favorite meme is the one where it shows you um, how to prevent, like how to prevent infection. And it's like person with mask, nope, no masks. And that's the, the highest rate. And then it's like one person has a mask. It's like medium risk. And then both masks on it's like low risk. But then the next one is like just a person running away. And the other person's like, would you like to join me on my live stream? <laughs> Zero risk. <laughs> yeah well it, it it's it's been wild it's been unprecedented obviously you know we're ready to to go out and do things um but i mean besides that i mean like it it felt like a standard release except we didn't play to anybody you know i think that's the hardest part is because a lot of times the most exciting part's not the release it's releasing it and then playing the next show and seeing people rock out to it and they know mm-hmm. the words or whatever we haven't got to get that yet. Yep. Uh, and this was definitely the single. I think we were the most pumped to see that in action. It's such a fun live song to play. It was wrote, you know, when we were writing it, every part was talking about, oh man, but this live would be so sick. Mm-hmm. And now we don't get to do it. You know, not yet. Yeah. Now, when, when you do songwrite as a group, which by the way, is that all, do all the members contribute to songwriting or is it a couple of, or just specific members? Everyone's in on it. Everyone's it- kind of directing it. It's a very specific science that I think we've kind of boiled down to. (laughs) Yeah. And then when you do write songs together, do you have those things in mind about how it's going to be performed or do you think about those things later? I think some songs can bring that out where you got to talk and think about that. But other times I don't even think it's on any of our minds. We're just writing something because we dig it. Yeah. And how is that experience doing it? as a group because I know sometimes the songwriters they get into their heads of this is specifically what they want for lyrics so then usually once the lyrics are written out then they go to the rest <laughs> of the member members to contribute to it at that point in time so 
what was that like with the four of you then? Is that just, is it more, is it chaotic where you just, everyone just throws whatever, then see what happens? Or does somebody come to the table with a, with a comprehensive idea? How does that work with you guys? It starts with the lick or it starts with the riff. Yeah, almost always. And then mm-hmm. it builds from there. And then I'm the stubborn one that's like, no, I see it this way. But that's how the song gets created is me fighting them and then them finding a compromise for me. And then we all dig it. Mm-hmm. And then it'll run with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause those things definitely come up. And we do a lot of somebody going, Hey, I really like this. And then somebody else being like, but what about this? And then we essentially just put it up for review and we'll play it both different ways and be like, which one feels like the way it should go. And then we just kind of. Everyone gets their idea and their, you know, their lyric or their riff put into it. And then it's mm-hmm. almost kind of like shooting gallery of just eh, that one. You know, everyone gets to play it. We get to hear it live. Let's just see what felt the best. Yep. Very cool. So when, during right now, since there are no live shows going on at the moment, and you mentioned yourselves before about doing the quarantine sessions, which are fantastic. Do you have any suggestions for other artists out there on what they can be doing right now if they can't perform live? TikToks and Instagram lives with an acoustic guitar. You know? fair yeah it it doesn't need to be good you don't need always need to have an interface or or things like that obviously if you want to go like full-blown professional then cool but also at the same time most most of the time like the stuff that i find that's really really good online is with like a shitty iphone mic interesting what about you frankie uh i'd say study your craft more I learned a ton about guitar that I, I didn't because I didn't feel like I had the time to learn it. So I finally sat down and was like, Hey, I'm going to teach myself music theory. Cause I know that's where I'm lacking and it's been super helpful. Yeah. Very, very cool. So, um, I'll, I'll actually wrap this up here. So is there anything else that you guys would like to uh, mention about even whether it's being part of a band in general or anything that anybody, any aspiring musician out there that wants to get into this as a career, would you give advice to? If there was like one piece of advice that you give somebody trying to get into this business, what would it be? There's more than just making money as a performer or as an artist. There's so many other ways to make money in the music industry that's right next to the artist. That's great advice. That's really mm. good advice. I'll, I'll actually run off of that for a second because that's mm. something that a lot of people don't realize. There's, You can write songs for licensing purposes. You can mm. custom write music for um, for people that will pay good money for that kind of, kind of work. You can be a producer and help produce other kinds of music. You can do voiceover work. You can. There's so much that is out there that people don't realize that's ways to make money. In fact, most of the career musicians that are out there, they do those things. That's how they make their bread and butter is everything else that you don't see. But yep. then their passion is their band their, is or, their band or their project that they're doing. Yeah. Yep. A lot of songwriters, they get their starts because they write music for other people first and then they build their resume that way. And then they start their own career. So a lot of people don't really real think about those kind of things, but usually a lot of the artists, they don't come out of the blue. There's very, I like the saying that it takes 10 years to have an overnight success. And I think that's true across the board, whether you're an entrepreneur starting your business or whether it's you're an artist trying to, to break through. Usually it does take about 10 years in the making before that actually happens. 
Yeah. I mean, mine would just piggyback off that because I was going to say, make sure you love it enough to be in it for the long haul. Because, I mean, definitely when I was getting into it, I thought, man, we'll blow up and it's going to be this and it's going to be that. And it's not that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure for some people it, it was, but, you know, I'm lucky enough that I love it enough that, hey, I don't care. I want to keep going. That's not what's important right now, but be ready to be in it for a while. Yep. Usually the flexible jobs that you need to work to be in a band are the worst jobs. <laughs> It's true. But that's another thing too, is I usually recommend to artists that if there's a secondary skill set that you have, again, like you mentioned, Paul, uh, all the other aspects, whether it's a songwriter or producer and so forth, many of those jobs you can do on the road. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. if you're able to do so, especially if if touring is something that you want to do, those are the type of of skill sets you want to cultivate for yourself because then you, I mean, because it takes time for that alone. If you want to build yourself up as a freelancer in that way, that takes time to build that part of your business yep. and then you will be able to go out on the road and you can have enough jobs or you're able to take two, three weeks off and be able to go on the road, but then know that you're going to have more work coming back where you can make up for the time that you, mm-hmm. you know, you were away. So there's those type of things. And, uh, I, I agree with you, Frankie. I mean, you have to, you have to love this. I mean, there's so many other ways you can make money. <laughs> Music. <laughs> I to, mean, you know, you have to love it enough to accept you're not going to get rich off this. You know, this is not going to set you up for the rest of your life. This is going to be something you constantly work at and constantly try to improve on. For some people, that's probably exciting. For some people, it's like, oh, screw that. I'm going to go be a lawyer so I can cash out. Yeah. <laughs> right. And that's the thing, too, is that, you know, some people do get very lucky. And sometimes they were just at the right place at the right time and everything clicked in. But that you have a better chance of winning the lottery. No joke. Then that, yeah. happening. Yeah, then exactly. that happening to you. So, and I wasn't happy until I gave away that thought that like, Oh, this is going to happen. Like this is my winning lotto ticket. <laughs> is, is this Once, the album that's going to do it? Yeah, yep. exactly. Scratch Once I gave thing. up on that, I found a lot more happiness in what we were doing. <laughs> Same here. I, when I started a 20 records, I had high, you know, high expectations for what to achieve. And I'm very proud of what we've achieved as a company 12 years later, but definitely it, it was a long haul. It took several years for me to realize that this is going to take a long time for it to build and to get to where I ultimately want to go with this. Yep. So it, it's some, sometimes there's a tough pill to swallow because especially when you don't know what the end game is, you know, where is it ultimately going to lead you? Some, it can be very challenging. Yeah, I think that's why it's important, though, that you start to learn to celebrate the small stuff. Like we had a song break 100,000 streams. Like in the grand scheme of what you know with music, that's not a big deal. For a small little local band that was just five friends trying something out, that's pretty badass. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so you got to be you got to be ready to to celebrate that and let that be what it is, not be like, but it ain't a million. So I'm not really stoked <laughs> on that. My my mindset always been you know like you said, celebrate the the small wins, but always think about the the big goals at the same token. I'm always that way. Like, hey, congrats, we did we made this this huge milestone. Great. What's next? Long like term, short term goals. Yeah, long term, short term goals. Appreciate the the short term wins and constantly look for the long term accomplishments. For sure. Long term, we're taking over the world, though. Stating it right now. Okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll get, I'll get, I'll get right on that, guys. Let me tell you, I'll get that right on that. Perfect. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Paul. Thank you so much, Frankie, for being a part of the podcast. I really yeah, appreciate. Thanks for it. having us. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the 8020 show. To learn more about 8020 Records, you can check us out on pretty much any social media at 8020 Records or visit our website at 
www.8020records.com. Until next time, be happy, be healthy, and be productive.